Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, September 16th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Sally comes ashore east of the Mississippi-Alabama state line. We examine the threats the storm still presents to coastal counties as it moves out. Then Jackson County has been hammered with rain from Sally over the last 24 hours. We check in with their local emergency manager. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, state health officials weigh in on the effectiveness of masks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. For days, Hurricane Sally has been threatening the Mississippi coast as it churned in the waters of the northern Gulf of Mexico. Now it appears that threat is over. Sally officially made landfall this morning near Gulf Shores, Alabama, after strengthening overnight to a Category 2 storm with winds topping 100 miles per hour. But the slow pace of the storm could still require residents along the coast and in eastern Mississippi to be weather aware. We are joined now by Tim Destry of the National Weather Service in Slidell. Good morning, Tim. Hi, good morning. Uh, how are you doing this morning? I am doing pretty well. It looks like, well, Mississippi has had some damage, but in terms of overall impact, we maybe dodged a bullet, just as Louisiana did, although Alabama and Florida are really under the gun now. Uh, that That is correct, yeah. I mean, yeah, first off, we are very obviously concerned uh, for our neighbors uh, to the east in Alabama and Florida. Um, as you just reported, you know, the landfall occurred earlier this morning, a very, you know, potent hurricane with winds over 100 miles per hour. Um, some some strong winds still extend uh, not too far to the east of Mississippi in the Mobile area and especially over across the bay in their Baldwin County area, and especially then, you know, east of there uh, into Florida now in Pensacola and spreading inland. Uh, But as far as Mississippi goes, um, we officially have tropical storm warnings in effect for the coastal counties. Um, However, uh, that's mainly for the stronger winds that are off the coast right now. Um, The most of the tropical storm wind reports we're seeing now are with uh, Oh, buoys and offshore observations, like, say, in the Mississippi Sound, uh, where on land uh, the winds were up still at the time of the 4 a.m. advisory, um, with gusts probably near tropical storm force uh, at that time, and that's why the tropical storm warning still remained in effect. But we do anticipate uh, with the 10 a.m. advisory, uh, it's probably likely that those uh, warnings will be dropped. So what we are looking at is just some residual nuisance high water in some areas with a high tide today um, 
on the coast, but nothing like uh, the water levels we saw yesterday. So storm surge is now a thing of the past for Mississippi? Correct, correct. So any leftover flooding with high tide today would be very much a nuisance and localized, um, where maybe there's some backwater that hasn't drained out in some areas, of inland bay areas. But, but otherwise, um, yeah, otherwise the main storm surge threat is over with all this north wind we've had. Sally has been particularly interesting. First of all, the track was in Louisiana, New Orleans area, and some of those lower parishes, and uh, western Mississippi, sort of along the Mississippi River, or the mouth of the Mississippi River. Then it moves towards central Mississippi. Then it moves towards the Alabama-Mississippi state line. And now it is centered over, um, well, central Alabama or more towards the Florida state line. Is that unusual or par for the course? Well, it's a little bit unusual to have so many changes, but what, what makes it maybe if you think about it being a little bit more par for the course is when you have a storm that's expected to slow down as much and for many, many days in advance, we were anticipating a storm that would slow down to about five miles per hour. And what usually happens if the steering currents are the way they are, which the way they set up is um, when the storm stalls, then it could be subjected to uh, a rapid change in direction, which is what we saw. Um, it stalled you know, north of, say, the Mississippi-Alabama line area and then turned north and then even a little bit north-northeast where it took it to where the ultimate landfall ended up being. So um, just little changes where if it didn't slow down as quickly and kept going and um, didn't turn quite as fast or as sharply, that it could have easily just come right up into, say, you know, you know, right in the middle of the Mississippi coast. While we offer our best wishes to our neighbors in the east, let's focus on other tropical depressions or storms developing uh, that may head towards the Gulf. Are we going to run out of names of hurricanes or named storms before this is over? Uh, that looks pretty much, uh, I guess, not just likely, but just about imminent because we're already, I guess, it, I think the only name left is the W name. I uh, can't remember exactly what that is, but that's the last on the list. There's no Zelda? <laughs> There's no. no. Well, no, what I'm saying is that's the last of the the, the names that, you know, have people people names. Uh, and after the, after W, it goes to the Greek alphabet, uh, like alpha, uh, Oh my. Delta, whatever. Yeah, yeah, we go. And that only happened one other year, which, you know, I hate to bring up uh, because there's so many bad memories. Uh, 2005, um, that was the only other year where we went to the Greek alphabet. Of course, and, that was yeah, Katrina year. year. Yeah, and then, of course, I know you wanted to talk about the rest of the season. And, we're in, you know, September right. 10th was the historical peak, and we're only, um, what, six days past that. So that's why we're. <laughs> Pretty much, uh, you know, expecting to get to that Greek alphabet. Um, you know, the only, you know, the only good news for the Gulf boat that's it's a ways off still is, you know, once you get to the tail end of the season, like, you know, October, I'm, I'm sorry, November, the very last, you know, what we call the end of, you know, the traditional hurricane season, then typically uh, storms don't impact the northern Gulf Coast area um, once it gets late enough in the season, but we're not. Uh, we still have the rest of September and a good part of October where historically we have had storms um, impact our area. Why so, are we having so many storms this season? Well, this is um, you know one of those years where actually uh, we did uh, see the conditions developing even at the start of the season to produce an active season. And then it got, and once we had as many storms as we had early in the season, we knew that it would be a, what we call a hyperactive season which is this this many 
you know, such an extreme number above normal. That was Tim Destry of the National Weather Service in Slidell. Coming up, Jackson County has been hammered with rain from Sally over the last 24 hours. We check in with their local emergency manager. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. For the Mississippi Gulf Coast, hurricane season is a time of hyper-awareness and preparation. Jackson County in the southeastern corner of the state was forecast to be hit by some of the most severe elements of Hurricane Sally when the state began preparing for the storm last weekend. But as the storm ticked east, the county was spared some from the worst. Still, as Emergency Services Director Earl Etheridge tells our Michael Guidry, the county was hit with wind strong enough to down trees and cause power outages. Basically, with Sally, uh, we did a lot of watching and prep work for this storm because initially we were supposed to go into the mouth of the river, uh, Mississippi River, and it had been on the course I had initially projected. Jackson County probably would have been devastated, much like Orange Beach and uh, Pensacola, Florida, seeing right now. But fortunately, she tracked back to the uh, to the east of us. Uh, too bad for Alabama and uh, Florida. Our hearts feel for those people because they're really taking a pounding. But here in our county, uh, we saw just a minimum amount of rain, not very much rain at all. Uh, we have had some heavy in- winds on the east side of the county. We have had one recorded wind uh, gust of 55 miles an hour at Trent Lott International Airport in Moss Point. We've got about 9,000 customers without power in the county primarily on the east side of the county. And we've got a number of trees down across the county, blocking roads and some state highways. The uh, county road department is out as we speak clearing these roadways. We haven't had any reports of any injuries or any damages, but we do have at this time teams from my office and from NEMA out doing damage surveys throughout the county. I know early on a storm surge was a big concern. Um, has that threat kind of uh, whittled away? Um, and then the combination of the rain you did get, are we seeing any any type of flooding, whether it's in low-lying areas or just over roadways? Well, initially when we had the uh, storm surge initially coming in here, it probably never exceeded five foot. Uh, we had about 40 roads that were in areas that normally when you have extraordinary high tides, but have water on them, actually got water on those. Those, for the most part, have receded. Uh, we've got very little rain, probably no more than two inches. Uh, <clears throat> maybe some areas got me have gotten a little bit more of that, but we never uh, received the high totals that we were projected to get. So we're not having any issues with any kind of flooding at this time. Was your area one of the areas that had opened up uh, shelters for those unable to evacuate? We had we had two shelters open. We had 25 people in the shelters uh, between the two shelters, and at the present time, we're in the process of uh, closing the shelters down, and the people are going back home. 
I know you said you're in the middle of a damage assessment working with uh, working with MEMA. Um, what is your message to those who might have might be struggling without power right now, as far as the timeline, and what resources do you have available to those who are are, are dealing with some of the uh, some of the damages that the storm has brought? Well, we've had no reports of any type of structural damage damages to any home. Um, all the damage that we've heard is either going to be related to utilities such as power lines and telephone lines or the uh, roadways that have trees on them. Like I said, we're in the process of clearing the roadways now. Hopefully, we should have all those done by late this afternoon. Power companies, both Singham River and uh, Pacific Power, have been out since daylight. They're working on restoring power. That's going to be a tedious process because, like I said, we've got about 9,000 customers without power. Hopefully, by the mall, we would hope to have at least 90% of everybody back with power. This is the second time the, the state and the coast have had to um, kind of prepare for for a potential hurricane. We still have a little over what seems like two months, I believe, left of hurricane season. What are your thoughts going forward as you know the state has to navigate the rest of the season, knowing that we're not we dodged two bullets, but we're not completely out of the weeds yet? Well, actually, this makes four. We had Chris Tobel the uh, tropical storm, and then we had Marco and Laura uh, almost back-to-back, and then Sally. So we've still got another month and a half or about two months' worth of uh, storm time left. Uh, I'll remind everybody that we had uh, a storm, Hurricane George's, in 1998. that came in about September the 29th to the 1st of October, uh, flooded Jackson County on the east side of the county, brought about 30 inches of rain. Back in the 1700s, Mobile, which is 35 miles east of us, was struck by twin hurricanes. So storms can still happen throughout the throughout the rest of the hurricane season, and people still need to maintain a watchfulness and maintain their plans and their supplies that they have set aside for hurricanes. We've been with Earl Etheridge, Director of Emergency Services in Jackson County. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, state health officials weigh in on the effectiveness of masks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. I have been experiencing high blood pressure spikes. It will go from 120 to 150 in a heartbeat and stay there, and it just makes me feel real sick. I can feel my pressure rise. Our blood pressure you know, contrary to, to what a lot of people, you know, think, it's it's not something that's static. It actually changes from moment to moment throughout the day based on a number of factors. And that's good because we need differences in blood pressure to maintain a constant blood supply to all of our organs. But it can go down as much as 20% and should at night uh, if you if you measure it during the night. And it can also go up later in the afternoon. It sort of peaks during the day during that time. Anxiety, uh, depression, 
um, lots of other things that impact our blood pressure and can cause those blood pressure spikes. So it's not something that we can prescribe a blood pressure medication for very easily because that's not the problem. And I, I saw a patient uh, yesterday in my clinic where anxiety was the blood pressure issue, not the blood pressure itself. And particularly if your blood pressure is controlled at other times, and then we add another medication to get the blood pressure down to control those spikes, well, we're going to have lower blood pressures during the day, and that may even be harmful. So the key is figure out what's causing it. It might be helpful when you do have those spikes in blood pressure that you, uh, you know, sort of think about what you ate, any kind of other symptoms that you were having at the time, write those down in the days and the times that they were, and then give that back to your doctor so they can be a good detective and try to figure that out. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Blues Archive is a collection of sound recordings, photographs, memorabilia. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We get researchers and blues fans from all over the world. Over 70,000 audio recordings in the Blues Archive. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians will be required to wear masks through the end of September following Governor Tate Reeves' decision to extend his pandemic-related executive order. The state has seen a downward trend in coronavirus cases since the mandate was issued in August. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says mask wearing could still be an integral part of fighting transmission even as vaccines are developed. We are still in the middle of this. We are not out of the woods yet. I think that we need to, even when we start that that first dose of vaccine and when we start having vaccine roll out, the masks are still going to be an important step in preventing transmission. And so I think we're in it for for a while um, longer. I think that we would have to see some real diminishing number of cases uh, nationwide and worldwide to really feel comfortable with with you know, stopping mask use, stopping the social distancing. And gosh, it almost feels like it's become a normal part of our right. of our everyday life now. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs has long supported the wearing of masks. He says new studies are being conducted that examine micro exposure, which could further prove the effectiveness of masks. And there's also a neat thing of um, maybe sort of uh, micro exposure. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a new thing that we've really kind of learned more about, but it seems like, and this is from animal studies, um, where they had like hamsters exposed, either no mask material between them or some mask, like the normal kind of stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And they would sometimes get infected, but their illness was much less. And, and they think it may be because they had just a smaller dose of exposure, but then they may have actually developed immunity. So it's almost like it's a micro exposure for immunity. And there's a really nice sort of natural experiment between two cruise ships, one where they wore masks and one where they didn't. And then the ones where they didn't wear masks had a lot of really sick people and some folks died. And the other one where they did wear masks, um, they did a lot better. And the people who got sick had much less illness. 
The extended executive order by Governor Reeves also loosens restrictions on restaurants, gyms, and general public gatherings. Dobbs says restaurants are required by law to comply with health restrictions and violations can be reported to the Department of Health. So first and foremost, you know, if if there's a place that hasn't been complying, um, I will obviously say something to the manager, but then I'm not going to use it. I will not I will not use it anymore because they obviously don't care enough about me to mm-hmm. protect me um, that I don't think that they are having, you know, they're, they're not you know, doing good uh, business for the customers. If someone is, you know, violating rules as far as that goes um, with the employees, especially, um, you know, if it's a restaurant, let us know on our website. We have a, an online complaint form and we'll go and educate and make sure that they understand the rules because sometimes early on, especially people don't really understand the rules and let them know what they need to do to comply because part of it that this fall under our authority mm-hmm. uh, as a for the licensing agency for restaurants and then you know and, and if, if there's ongoing resistance there can be some um, some penalties and even you know forced closure we haven't had to do that yet but that's it's certainly plausible the other thing is I think like people to realize is with these executive orders they're laws mm-hmm. you're breaking the law if you don't comply and um, the immunity bill that is passed by the legislature, it, it does give people legal immunity from COVID transmission if you're following the guidances. And so if you're if you're willfully not following the guidances, then you're voiding your liability protections. And I think from a business perspective, I think it's a very unwise move. The school year is also in full swing, and already some schools have had to temporarily shut down due to coronavirus outbreaks. Dobbs says the most effective way to prevent whole school shutdowns are thorough quarantine procedures. If you spend 15 minutes within six feet of somebody who has coronavirus, then you're a close contact. So when there's a case in the school, if you're never within six feet of that person, you wouldn't be considered contact. And so you wouldn't go home except for in a larger outbreak scenario. So say we had 10 kids in a room Mm -hmm. and we had one kid who was sick. Only those kids who were within that six feet for 15 minutes would need to go home on quarantine 14 days. But those who are exposed need to go home for a little bit because they could be incubating the virus. And when they're incubating the virus, that means that they could become contagious before they know it and spread it to a whole bunch of other people. So basically we're kind of we're, you know, you got a, you got an infection. We need to take that outer shell and just take it out of commission just for a couple of weeks, just to make sure we don't have those those subsequent waves of transmission and wipe out the whole school as far as being open. It's our objective to make sure kids can have the best opportunity for education and the socialization stuff that they need to do to develop. And and, and I think it's actually been a, a pretty great success as far as like, you know, we we've been able to keep kids in school a lot more effectively than I had had thought. And we only had a few schools have to close, close down as far as going all virtual. So it basically prevents those subsequent ways of infection. I know it's frustrating and it's aggravating, but the flip side of it is, I would say, the schools should work through schools to make sure that your kids maintain that distance at all times and then we can avoid quarantine altogether. The Department of Health reported 505 new cases of COVID-19 yesterday. That brings the total since March 11th to 90,523. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. 
Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.